you know, there were points where I thought I was going to die and I didn't, thank God. But I'm clear that if I were drinking, you know, if I didn't have four years of sobriety at that point, if I'd been drinking, I probably would have died because it probably would have been massive or I probably just would have laid down and not woke up. So I'm thankful I'm clear on that, clear on that. And that helps me in the times where I might get a little anxious or a little wonky or, or thought of a drink comes, you know, I can go back and say, hey, if I was drinking, I'd be dead. I've never lost one friend. Now, do they invite me to their big blow up parties? No, but I don't take that as a sign of disrespect or unfriendship. I, I think they don't know how to, they don't want to put me in a situation where I'd feel uncomfortable. And so look at it and say their intent is good for me. When I know that it's God doing for me, I'm, I'm grateful and I just want others to know. And um, I've learned through AA that God really just wants to be whatever you need God to be. That's all God wants. God just be whatever you need God to be. Hey, sober people and sober adjacent people. Welcome to I Have 12 Questions. I'm Amanda Patton, your host, a leading expert on nothing. However, I am in recovery and I love it so much so that I launched this podcast where we get to talk to people who are trudging the road to happy freaking destiny across all the different ways that people get there. So while this is definitely through the lens of recovery and sobriety, the stories and the themes that we'll be covering are universally human. So love, loss, grief, excitement, parenting, outside issues, purpose, God stuff, whatever. In the words of the great Ted Lasso by way of Walt Whitman, I want to be curious, not judgmental. So like I said, we'll be talking to people in recovery. We're going to be talking to experts and practitioners who help those people along their path in recovery. And we're just really excited to hear people tell their stories and to be inspired by them and to create a community of support for everybody in recovery and people who know and love people who struggle with addiction issues and whatnot. So anyways, we're so glad you're here and thanks for listening. Hey listeners, just a quick disclaimer before we get into the interview. These episodes may contain adult language and subject matter that's not appropriate for all audiences. Also, we are not doctors or psychiatrists, so what we share on these episodes is certainly not to be considered medical or psychological advice, just our own personal experiences, which we hope will be helpful to others on a similar quest. So that's it. And thanks for listening. Hey, Sober Family and our entire listening community. I've, I have picked a really, really good one to round out the end of season two and to round out 2023 as a whole. Um, Ruth Lawson has a crazy good story about her struggles with alcohol and the law and just all kinds of things that we're going to get into today. Um, and meeting her in the rooms was one of the best gifts the universe has ever um, sent me. So uh, get your popcorn, folks, because you're about to be entertained. <laughs> um, it's never a dull moment, but but I, you know, welcome to the show, Ruth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being part of my life. Uh, another great gift and win that God has given me. You know how much, you know how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. And I moved away and our meetings started to fraction faction off to COVID and there was all this weird stuff. And we move, people move and go find different meetings. And 
it's really weird because a lot of that original group I haven't stayed in super close contact with um, or or at all. Um, but you're one of those people that's just like, you know, always, I hope, always in my in my life because I really always. treasure you. Always me. Okay. Always. So, um, uh, let's start with an icebreaker just to keep it, keep it light. Um, <laughs> if you were a professional wrestler, what would your character name and like walk up song be and why? Okay. Well, I, uh, I would like to say my, 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 uh, wrestler name would be Ruth, the truth, the mistress of the Masira. And uh, that's Mysteria is the island that Wonder Woman came from in the movie, in the new movies. So that's why it's Mistress of the Mysteria. And uh, but my my um, my walk up song, but which you know, this, I always find the song the most inspirational when I would really want to get inspired is uh, "Gonna Fly Now," the original theme or the theme from the original Rocky. Dun, 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 Gonna and he's running, he's trying to run up the stairs and he finally makes it gonna fly now. I, like it just totally pumps me up. So yeah, that's that is theme from Rocky. Okay. Ruth the Truth, Mistress of Messira. That's where Wonder Woman's from. And I know you love her. I know you've met Linda Carter, like the real and all the it's just okay. Yeah. Well, Ruth, Ruth the Truth, you're my that's your new name. I'm calling you that. <laughs> so, you can't handle Bruce. No. <laughs> I can get to say that. Oh, yeah. You're also military. I didn't even, I don't think I even put that in any of my questions. Anyways, well, I'm sure we'll, so you, I'm sure maybe you'll cover some of that in some of the, answering some of the questions. But can you kind of take us back through what it was like for you when you were, um, in your, you know, active addiction. And before answering that, what's your sober date? Oh, my sobriety date is March 22nd, 2014. So coming up on the big X, on the big X. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, you know, you've heard my story before, but I generally say, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of trauma per se, like no physical or sexual trauma, anything like that. But I just learned to drink, um, you know, in my family, drinking was a, a rite of passage and the way you had fun or the way adults had fun. So I had that mentality. Um, but, you know, I was always a, uh, you know, pass out slash blackout drinker from the from junk, like, you know. Um, it was 50-50, right? What was going to happen? Um, it, You know, I've always, you know, I've had this face since I was in eighth grade. So, you know, buying booze underage really wasn't a problem. <laughs> and um, You really don't age. It's, it's frustrating. It's very <laughs> annoying. But anyways, I digress. Carry on. I'm, I'm okay for 55, but, you know, for 50. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, but um uh so anyway so you know i there was never a problem getting underage uh getting alcohol at an early age and i just you know i we, we brought up the military I joined the military when i was 19 and uh my plan was to get married and retire in the in the air force 
and that didn't work out because um, I realized I was really a lesbian, and <laughs> um, I like to eat and be chubby. So hmm, two things: military, real, and you know, <laughs> support. Uh, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> okay. I only stayed in almost like I got out a little early of my first four year enlistment because. Um, you know, back then it wasn't don't ask, don't tell. It was, you know, you're getting, thank you for staying, but bye-bye. And I didn't want, yeah. So like a thought of a dishonorable discharge was way more scary than uh, to me than anything. Um, but you know, uh, but you know, my drinking did, uh, increase when I was in the air force. I mean, it's basically, it's basically like the college, right? Like you're, away from home for the first time and you're on your own, but there is some sort of security blanket, if you will, knowing, you know, that Air Force, you don't have to worry about your job. You don't have to, I mean, you might get in trouble, sure. But, um, and I didn't, again, just was, didn't really see anything wrong with the, the passing out or getting blackouts and not remembering, uh, sleeping with anybody who looked at me twice. Um, and it, I just didn't, Really, I you know I kind of blamed it on other things. I blamed it on the pressure to, you know, hide the gay, to lose the weight. I thought, well, maybe if I met the right person, the gay would go away. Um, but, you know, all the stuff that we do, alcoholics do, and I really didn't just put it together. And then, well, I mean, I knew I had a problem, but I just thought it would change. You know, if X Y changes, then it would go away. And when I got up, when I decided to leave the Air Force, um, a friend of mine was getting stationed in Vegas. And so she was like, come up to Vegas with us. My husband's starting his own business. We'll give you a job. I'm like, heck yeah. Oh, wait, Vegas or Ohio? Where should I choose? <laughs> so I went to Vegas um, and that was more problem drinking. But um, I'm glad I went because it really exposed. That was the first time I'd ever been in a gay bar and, you know. I don't want to get too far off course here, but, um, but then I decided to move home because, you know, gambling started to be scary. I'm a, mm -hmm. I get, I'm, you know, anything that feels good, keep it coming. Um, yep, yep. winning. Ooh, Lord, I loves to win. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> but, uh, so I moved back home to Ohio and of course I was convinced, you know, was the only, um, I was the only gay person there in my little small town, of course. Right. Listen, you know, me and my gym teacher, right? And um, <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, I uh, I started. I just I just need to say I need to say really quickly, like this may sound insensitive that I'm laughing like at some of these parts or whatever, but like just please, audience, know we go way back. We've I just I don't want it to come off as you know what I'm saying? Anyways, carry on. I'm sorry. You are the only gay person in your town and your teacher. Um, but it, you know, it was the first, I got my first relation, you know, same sex relationship. I was going to bars and the drinking got worse and worse and worse. And, um, you know, before I went in the air force, I'd gotten my first DWI and I didn't, it was scary cause I thought I wasn't going to get to go in the air force, but it was fine. Um, and then when I moved home, uh, DWIs two, three, and four came pretty darn quick. Um, and so I was like, yeah, was a, and then, um, 
you know, then it, then it, but I was still like, oh, it's because I'm in this bad relationship or it's because I'm overweight and, oh, I need a better job. You know, all the things we say. And so sitting on four DWIs, I still didn't get it. I still thought I could manage it. And I moved to Texas in uh, 97 and uh, again, pretty quickly got a DWI. And so uh, now we're at five didn't take long to get six and seven. Well, actually, it, it didn't take long to get six. Um, and then seven came really, or I should say, it took a long time to get six. But um, it really, that was in six I got in 2010. And then my seventh one I got in 2013. So, um, you know, at seven DWIs, I thought, you know, they're going to make me stop drinking. No one's going to believe that it's just my unfortunate luck yet again. Um, that's when I really went to AA, you know, on my own. Well, slash sort of on my own. I figured they were going to make me go. So, but I went on my own and um, I was sober for about a hundred or some days. And then I decided I could handle it and uh, proceeded to get blackout drunk and then went back and, I lost my job that I'd had for 10 years. And that was, you know, you believe anything today, believe that my job was my whole identity. And um, so I lost that job. I was, you know, that was my, you know, the beginning of my bottom. Um, I had a couple more, uh, you know, um, relapses, if you will, but I really wasn't trying the program. So I don't consider them relapses, but and so, you know, so somewhere from December to March 22nd is, I was having, you know, my relapses, if you will. And then finally, um, you know, I had met the women from Seven Street Sisters. I'll say the group name. I don't know if I'm supposed to, but um, I had met them from um, the AA group, Seven Street Sisters. And that's when I really saw, wow, you know, I don't know if I want what they have, but I sure as heck don't want what I have anymore. Um, everyone was so nice. And the day... My sobriety day is March 22nd, but March 23rd, I went and had a celebration lunch or birthday birthday lunch with a bunch of women uh, from 7th Street. And I just thought they all know I'm hungover, but no one ever said anything. And I, that's when I thought, you know, I just, I'm tired. I'm done. And that was it. And and that was, you know, that was March 20th, you know. March 22nd, I guess the next day would March 20th, or maybe that was March 22nd. I think it was March 22nd. So, yeah. And then, uh, you know, like I said, bim, bam, boom, it's almost 10 years. So I know, I know, right? I, yeah, I, I've heard so many versions of your stories over the years, just hearing your shares, you know, um, hundreds and hundreds of times, but we kind of get snippets and I've heard you tell your story before too. So like, but every, it's almost like every time we tell it, there's maybe a, a little different version or maybe we're talking more about, so it's, it's always good to hear that kind of like cliff notes version. Um, because it's so interesting. There's so many, um, you know, things going on in your life with like, military and sexuality and like body image and like all these other factors that it's, they're so easy to, to blame. Um, I was always like, it's cause I was raised religious, my family and my ex-husband and like, you know, it's always something I, I work a lot. I deserve uh, to drink this much type of deal. Like there was always, um, and I love that you shared all that. Cause I think it's really, 
relatable to a lot of people. Um, and so, my, well, my next question was talking about like when you went through a really scary um, thing a few years ago, <clears throat> we were all, not we were all, but like a lot of the women who have grown close from that group, um, you know, were there and um, it was really scary for people who weren't going through it. So I can't imagine how scary it was, you know, for you. Um, but I kind of want to hear about like, if, if you wouldn't mind sharing, like what happened and, um, I guess what your biggest takeaway was from that whole, you know, experience. Cause it's not like it just happened and you, you had a few weeks of recovery and then you were good to go. Like this was kind of like a long drawn out thing and the medical bills, you know, that that's the thing, right? It's like, just because you make it through the thing, now there's, there's all this aftermath and you're doing it sober, right? You're doing it without being able to like run away or escape, which is what I did, what we did in our active addiction. So can you just kind of talk us through what that experience was like for you and kind of what your biggest takeaways were? Yeah. So in uh, July of 2018, I had a uh, brain hemorrhage caused by a a subarachnoid brain hemorrhage caused by an aneurysm. So in layman's terms, my brain aneurysm began to hemorrhage. Um, and so I, you know, at first I thought I was having a stroke. Uh, the ambulance came and they gave me some, the stroke tests. Um, and they were like, no, you're not having a stroke, but let's go to the hospital. So I, I went to the emergency room and, um, they came out and I called, of course I called my sponsor and the voicemail picked up. I'm having a stroke. Um, and then she called and her and her fiance came up to the emergency room. And when they did the CAT scan, it took me back for a CAT scan. They came out and said that it was a brain hemorrhage. Um, you know, and then they were like, well, you know, we're going to try, you know, we'll go up, you know, I, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, we'll, we'll try and, you know, go in, in, you know, through the vein. And if we can't, then we'll do something more, uh, it, you know, intensive. I think he said, or intrusive. And uh, I was like, like brain surgery. He was like, yeah, so you know me. <laughs> I just started laughing because I didn't know what else to do. Um, and so in there, uh, my sponsor, uh, who, uh, you know, she was so great and I'm so grateful for her. Uh, she was called, she called all the women in my support group, you being one, and all the women and yourself came up to the emergency room um, to the hospital to, and waited through the surgery. And, um, just it, I, I can't tell you how much that means to me as a, as a person and, um, to have that support. And, uh, um, you know, everyone was there. You went and picked up my family and brought them to my apartment and took them back to the airport. Um, my mom and my sister, no small feet. <laughs> <to stand there. laughs> <laughs> so, um, so but yeah so I you know I, I stayed in a, in the hospital for 15 days and then I had um you know physical therapy and occupational therapy all that good stuff for a couple of months but uh you and the women uh came and they people brought me food came to my apartment that my mom cleaned thank god and uh uh you know, took me to meetings, took me to, to dinner. It, the support was unreal, just un, it's unreal. And until you really experience that kind of, um, I'll say fellowship, but really it's more than that, but that kind of, um, 
support and caring, it, it, you just don't know. And it, it honestly changed my life. And to know that, you know, people in my life do, you know, people in my life care. And, uh, and I, I really thought I was going to, you know, there were points where, you know, I thought I was going to die and, um, I didn't thank God. And, uh, but I'm clear that if I were drinking, um, you know, if I didn't have four years of sobriety at that point, if I'd been drinking, I probably would have died because it probably would have been massive or I probably just would have laid down and not woke up. So, uh, I'm, or probably would have been out really at that time of the day. Um, so I'm thankful. I'm clear on that, clear on that. And that helps me in the times where I might get a little anxious or a little wonky or, or thought of a drink comes you know, I can go back and say, hey, if I was drinking, I'd be dead. Screw jail. Dead. So, but yeah, so that, um, the things I take away is that as bad as my life can be, or in my head, I think my life is bad. It's not that bad because I know I don't want to die because I almost did and didn't really want to. And that, and that people in your life that care about you will support you. And, you know, I'm so glad that I'm sober. So those are my, those are my takeaways. That's huge. That is, that was, and it's so funny because, you know, you always do so many things for so many other people. That's kind of like who you are at your core. You're, you're always doing for others. And so it's weird to me that it would be surprising to you that people would show up for you because you know, but I, but to me, it lends itself to this kind of old idea. Cause I have it as well that I show up, I try to show up for other people, but I just never expect they're going to show up for me when I need them. Because unfortunately I've had that happen in my life enough times to where that's the pattern that I expect. Um, yeah. and so when people do show up, I'm like either surprised by it or I feel overwhelmed or I feel like I don't deserve it. I don't want to burden people. Like there's all this emotional jump that comes with that that when people like will not allow you to turn away help kind of like women in the program, like we didn't ask if you needed help. We said, we're coming over there, <laughs> you know, I didn't have <laughs> maybe we're all codependent or whatever, but it's like, we show up for each other. It's like funerals, babies being born, people getting married, people getting divorced, like relapses, you know, illnesses, like all these things that people go through in the program. You, you forge these really strong relationships that, you know, of course the foundation is sobriety, but like it goes far beyond that. And we're, our program is all about, you know, taking action. Like you can't say that you're supportive of people. It can't just be in meetings, right. Or in the rooms or like as a sponsor, sponsee or whatever, it's like life stuff. And you're, we were worried that you wouldn't, you know, survive because nobody really knew what was going on. And we got in trouble in the ER because we were being too loud while we waited for you to, we had a surgery and then the surgeon came out and gave us some updates and he was so good looking that we didn't really remember what he had said. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We were like, we're actually terrible. Huh? I said, Dr. McDreamy. (laughs) Yes. We were like, we're actually terrible friends. Like, look at us. We're getting in trouble. We're about to get thrown out of the ER. We're distracted by this guy's looks instead of listening to what he, but what I'm trying to say is we were all scared 
and sad and worried, but also we were all together. And there was some, there was some way of like finding hope or humor or, you know, even distracting each other with humor because we didn't know how to feel. We didn't know how to talk about what was going on. And it was just so bizarre because you were fine. And then, then you're in the hospital. Like it was crazy. And so anyways, yeah, I was just going to say, if I was the one in the waiting room, do you think that, I mean, I would be the one making the jokes and making the laugh, you know what I mean? Because that's my, we, that's our, <laughs> we would have to tell. And Dr. Maya yeah. was you. Yeah, if, you yeah. if you had been out there, we would have definitely gotten kicked out. Yeah. Why? We were just like, what did he just say? Is anyone else just completely, even the, <laughs> even the, you know, women that don't, necessarily that for that team we're like damn um anyways <laughs> and I'll tell you I was a little cranky to the some of the nursing staff as you, you know just in the hospital for that long you can't get out of bed and all this mess and whatever and and I thought they probably so confused I probably had more visitors than anyone in intensive care and yet I was so mean to them they're probably like What's with this girl? Everybody's coming to visit. Everyone's calling. So mean. Oops. (laughs) I remember because you were there and they had to move you because there was like construction and you were in constant pain and you had a horrible migraine like for days on end, maybe longer than that. And it was just, and then when you're in recovery, everybody's all tiptoeing around like how much pain medication can you give someone? Are they drug seeking? And there's just all this bullshit. And then your own people in your own life are kind of giving you grief about it too, about just, you know, everybody goes into like mode and it makes you, when people do that with me, if I'm going through something and I'm not showing up emotionally sober, I've had people say like, are you drinking again? Are you okay? Because I'm a little off, but it's like, I'm allowed to have those moments, those times, you know? Just because I'm in recovery, you know, but to me, it's frustrating when I watch people in recovery go through like medical procedures, because sometimes it feels it can get a little judgy, Mm. you know? Yeah. Like your pain, your pain isn't real. Like your pain doesn't count because maybe you're just trying to get, you know, morphine or whatever. Do you know what I'm saying? I've seen that before and it sucks. Yeah. Totally. And, and I, the only thing I said to my sponsor was I don't, I had a lot of back pain with the headaches as well. And I had a lot of back pain from, you know, laying in the bed so long. And, um, I don't want to, I don't, you know, I know people get hooked on that, on pain medication majority for back pain. And I just didn't want that. But I, um, when the doctor comes in and tells you, you have to stay ahead of the pain, i.e. you have to take your meds on time and the amount prescribed, then you do what the doctor says. And so that's, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this to be well, not, you know, and God will take care. Yeah. It didn't look like you were in there having a party. Like you were not having a good time. You know, (laughs) I was like, man, this sucks. You need to get out of here. We got to get you home. Um, But I guess what was the hardest part for you getting sober? Like, um, sometimes people say like, Oh, I lost all my friends or my social circle, or I had to, you know, move or I had to change industries. Like sometimes people just have this one thing that's like, man, that was, that was the hardest part or that remains the hardest part. What, what do you think is yours then or now? Um, you know, I think for me, 
again, like I said, a lot of it, I didn't need, although sometimes drinking gave me liquid, drinking was liquid courage sometimes, um, especially, if, you know, out in a bar trying to meet someone. Um, but other than that, I really did just, a, so, I, I didn't have a filter, so don't get me wrong. I, you know, that the whole filter of to stop when you've had enough, I don't, I don't have that. I don't think I ever did, but it just really, I, you know, sporting events for me is tough. I can go to any party on the planet, but if it's a big time football game or Super Bowl or playoffs or, you know, my team's doing, whether it's, you know, football, baseball, whatever, I'm a big Cleveland sports fan, Cleveland, go Browns. And (laughs) so, yeah, so those things, the sporting events are tough for me. Um, Or if I go to a restaurant, um, and I'm watching the game on TV because I do like to watch it in public. And um, there's a Browns, Cleveland Browns fan backer uh, association that meets at a restaurant in South Austin. So I go every Sunday and watch the Browns games because it's so much better when you have people who are rooting for. Yeah. Plus, I you know we don't get those games on TV here, so um, you know it's just fun. But I I leave right after the game. I don't. You know, sometimes I don't get there till the second quarter or sometimes halftime um, just because I not that I'm afraid I drink, but I would be afraid that I would start to fantasize. And it, I mean, there's no, you know, I have a good reason to be there. Like the book says, I have a good reason to be there. Doesn't yeah. mean I have to uh, fantasize or stay longer than I should. So, yeah, game's over. Yeah. A blowout. I'm like, peace out. <laughs> I don't need to stay here. So. I remember, I remember back in the day, cause you would always, it was nearby and sometimes you would be talking about going there or having, and I was always like, not judging, but like doing kind of that mom thing of like, you shouldn't be putting yourself in that position. I remember thinking that to myself, which I kept to myself cause it's none of my fucking business. However, I always worry, right. When I see people, cause I, I guess because I'm thinking about my own self or my own experience of like in some environments, I just, I know that I'm not safe, not because I'm going to drink, but because I would, I would kind of be vicariously, you know, and for me, it's like a comedy show or like a music, you know, like any type of music venue. Um, when I walk in and there's that buzz of the evening, that excitement of what's about to happen. And it just feels like a drink should go with that. Like my brain will never be able to fully dissociate those two things. Like those go together. And so to this day, when I walk into an event like that and I feel that little feeling in my stomach of like excitement, um, you know, it's like, oh, let's go to the bar and get a drink. And I was like, wait a second, I don't drink anymore. Like it's been 10 years, but it's still the first, you know, um, and then throughout the night, I've noticed myself sometimes depending on my spiritual condition, I watch other people drink and other times I don't pay attention at all. It just depends on like where I am mentally. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you yeah. really love sports and you really needed camaraderie and like all that. And I, it's just so different for everybody just because I'll look at somebody else and go, Oh, I wouldn't be doing that. That seems dangerous. But like for you, that's fine. Um, for me, that would well, probably wouldn't be, you know, this though about the, of losing friends. I, I don't, I haven't lost any friends. I mean, sure. I don't see the people I see at the bar big loss there, but, um, <laughs> uh, yeah not really friends but yeah yeah all my friends I was all my friends really I think a lot I don't say all of them but a a lot of them even you have said to me we wish you would have stopped drinking earlier but we didn't know how to say it we didn't know how to bring it up 
Um, you know, cause I would have, I'm sure, or, you know, tried to joke out of it or what have you, you know, it's only 60 WIs, calm down. <laughs> um, and then, you know, but so if you're, you know, if I'll say this to, if someone's new out there, if your friends actually have that conversation with you, you know, take it seriously, because that's a hard conversation for someone to have with you. Um, and if they're brave enough to might want, you might want to consider that there's something going on. Um, but they all know, um, all my fantasy, I'm in fantasy football, all the fantasy football guys know I don't drink. Um, no one gruff about not taking a shot before my pig. And, you know, they just saw, cause they've all, they all seen the train wreck that I was. I wouldn't even make it past round four. Sometimes I'd be passed out. So they, no one gives me, I've never lost one friend. Now, do they invite me to their big blow up parties? No, but I don't take that as a sign of disrespect or unfriendship. I, I think they don't know how to, they don't want to put me in a situation where I'd feel uncomfortable. And so right. look at it and say their intent is good for me. So I don't take, I don't take it first. Yeah. And I'm the same way. Like sometimes it depends on where it is, who it is, but also what kind of headspace I'm in because, you know, and having a plan, taking your own car, like kind of like, if you feel uncomfortable, just get the hell out of there. And before I never really had that type of autonomy or that type of like self love or whatever I would stay because, or I wouldn't leave because I didn't want to make someone uncomfortable or piss anyone off or whatnot. And now it's just like, you know, just because we go somewhere doesn't mean we have to stay there, right? Like we have the choice. We have the ability to, you know, bow out gracefully and not make a scene or anything. But, and that, that's all stuff that I learned in the program. And I'm sure, I don't, I, I, I'm sure you've had to remove yourself from situations, you know? Um, so I'll say this. I've never had anyone say, oh, why aren't you drinking tonight? They might say, hey, you want to drink? And I say, no, like coworkers or you go, yeah. you know, people that casually familiar with um i know i don't know do you want to drink no i'm okay i'm good or i'll have a diet coke is that it uh-huh i i don't know about that i've never had someone say what you're not drinking why aren't you drinking everybody drink. I, they just like okay more for me <laughs> <laughs> so but it's yeah a point if you're new if people are new they really do if you have to go like family stuff if you have to go and your family drinks then, you know, I, I tell new people all the time, take your car, you stay an hour. I don't care if you're having the best time of your life or the worst time of your life. At that, the hour, if you, you know, if you're having the best time of your life, when the hour comes, go. If you're having the worst time of your life and you think you're triggered, then obviously leave before that. But, right. you know, even if it's great, that hour, you know, that hour comes, you go. Because we drink, we get triggered with good times as, just as much as we do with bad. Oh, so. oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm to this day, I'm that way. I can, I can stay to a certain point. And when people cross a line of drunkenness, I have to leave because that's how I drink and that's what I like. And that's, that's where my mind will start to go. Um, seeing people drink socially doesn't bother me at all. Cause I've never had any interest in that anyway. It's very boring. Like two beers. Why? What's the point? Like two beers. <laughs> But to see people start to party like the way I like to, where you just kind of check all the way out, like that's for some reason, as dark as it sounds, it's still got a little bit of appeal to me just for a split second. I'll see it and I'll feel a little bit jealous. And I'm like, I, that's not good for me to entertain that, um, you know, situation. Um, or people, but then they start acting like 
total assholes and you're like, okay, I'm really glad I'm sober. So yeah. <laughs> it goes back, I, back and forth. But I'm drunk. No, you're drunk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how have things changed with your, like your family relationships and your perspectives on those relationships um, since you got sober? Cause a lot of people, if they're not working the program or don't know much about it, like, Yes, of course, quitting drinking and, and taking stuff, um, mind altering things is part of the program, but the emotional sobriety, which is how do we show up in relationships? How do we set boundaries? How do we deal with our you know past traumas and whatnot? So that's why I'm asking, um, Ruth, just because relationships are such a huge um, reward of the program, like restoring relationships, but it's also a huge landmine of potential triggers and resentments and all of those kinds of things. So um, I'm curious to hear what your experience has been, like how your family relationships have changed and your perspectives on those relationships. Well, you know, I don't, I, my relationship, of course, like most people, you know, I don't know if I would say most people, but some people I had a strained relationship with my mom just because while she was supportive of the gay, I wouldn't say she was, or why she was, I, you know, I don't know which word I want to use, but while she was accepting of the gay, I wouldn't necessarily say she's proactive about asking me about it. <laughs> like she's never once dating anyone. Um, but so I know it was always kind of a thing because she's, you know, a, a religious, spiritual, you know, um, She's like the deaconess of their church, right? So there you go. Um, but being sober, uh, you know, my and I have two sisters, but we've always kind of, you know, I've lived away, they've lived away, so we don't have that. We never did have that kind of relationship. But as you know, my sister came and saw me when I had my brain hemorrhage. Uh, my other sister would have. She just didn't have the money. And uh, so I know that when push comes to shove, they'll have my back. And so I appreciate that and, the you know, vice versa. And my mom, it, you know, it took a while to really, you know, try and be better because I wanted to be the daughter, right? Like it says, be the daughter among daughters, right? And restore that. Um, I'll, you know, I didn't make a, a formal amends, but, you know, you know, when the, when I had the hemorrhage, you know, I was able just to, you know, at least tell her things I wouldn't normally say to her in a meaningful way, right? And that was natural and from the heart. And so I say I cheat on my men with my mom because I, you know, um, I kind of side skirt that with, you know, almost death. <laughs> and um, You had to almost die to be willing to have that conversation. <laughs> I get it. Trust me. <laughs> That's really hitting the bottom. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, but then being. Here's the great thing, and I didn't know if I wanted to tell my mom I was active in AA, and I, you know, um, yeah, but I did, and then you know, and I didn't want to have a discussion with her about the spirituality side of it, and um, but I just eventually I would say things like that's God, you know, I always say this God doing for me, right? What I couldn't do, you know, finish this quote, what I couldn't do for myself. Um, so I just always say, God, dude, that was God doing for me. And so I say things like that to her or God blessed me with this, or I was blessed with this. And so little by little it came. And then I realized that 
I had resentments, like crazy resentments. Like I blamed her for the gay. Like clearly she didn't want, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why I blamed her. It makes no sense in my head, but I did. Um, I just, I blamed her for the weight. I blamed her for the gay. You name it, I blamed her, right? Um, And and I can tell you, like even before, logically, I, I get it. It doesn't make sense, but that's just how I felt. And, and then I realized one day, and you hear people say this in the rooms and, you, you know, they say, oh, well, they did the best they could. And I, I agree with that, but I kind of put a different spin on it, if you will. I believe she did what she thought was the best thing for her kids. And I won't go in, you know, my first dad was kind of a bad dude. Didn't do anything to me, but was kind of a bad dude to my sisters. So, um, but she did, she was doing what she thought she literally thought was the best thing for her kids, not for her. She was doing what she thought was best for her kids. So when I look at it that way, it makes way more sense. And or to it, I feel way better about it to know that and, and believe, know and believe and feel that she really did make choices based on what she thought would be best for her kids. Um, and that kind of shifted my whole mentality um, I still have boundaries. Like I can't go home. My mom lives in Ohio. I can't go home and stay a week. I tried that. Ooh, no, it was bad. Um, <laughs> just because well, she's 80 now and she's, there's no change in that. And, you know, some of the things she just, you know, like she voted for Trump. So can't even talk about that. Um, oh, God, have mercy. Couldn't vote for that woman. I just looked at her. I was like, oh, we can't talk about this. Stop. Um, oh, you can vote for that guy. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, yes, we digress. Yeah. Holy. So, you know, so I do step boundaries. I go home a couple days. I stay an hour. I go. I do plan. I you know plan things with my friends or whatever. But I'm able to stay more than I ever have. There were times where I would go home and never even tell her I was home. I would just stay with my friends. So, uh, so that part's really been great. I've I've talked to her about things I've never knew before. Like my mom was a big concert goer. Like before she started having kids, who knew, right? She was like, I saw Conway Twitty and Johnny Cash. I was like, shut up. Um, so, you know, these are things you find out about your mom that you don't realize. And so, and, you know, it's, it's really just a whole different relationship now with my mom. Um, so, uh, you know, um, I'm glad for that. My sisters, like I said, it's about the same. My one sister's mad at me now, but we won't go into that. Um, you know, but as far as, and like I said, like I said, and, and, uh, as far as my other friendships and relationships, um, I really never, um, you know, all my friends have been super supportive and, mm-hmm. and great. And so I'm blessed for that. I love, I loved what you said. And I think you've said that before either to me in one of our hundreds of conversations over the years or in a meeting, but about like, she was really doing what she thought was best for you guys. And that's such a hard thing to grab a hold of when you feel like some of those things were hurtful. I've had these issues with my parents where it's like, how, how could you have hurt me in this way? And then if you look at it from their perspective, they were trying to protect or they were doing what they were taught or they really were trying their best. Um, not just with the tools they have, but they genuinely in their heart of hearts believe that like they were doing the best things in the, in the interest of us when maybe it was tough love or it was this or it was that, but like, and looking at it that way, but then to your, 
to the rest of what you're talking about, like that goes layers beyond that, which is understanding that they're their own entire person. Like my mom and my pop weren't just my mom and my pop. They were entire human beings who had childhoods and wounds and traumas of their own that they also maybe didn't have the tools to work through. And so having more compassion, I guess, right? Because I would just, something went wrong in my life and I just blamed them, (laughs) you know? Um, And then later I was like, oh, they got hurt too. They were scared too. They weren't loved properly too at certain points in their life or whatever the thing is, you know? And like, whatever that quote is, it's not one thing, it's your mother. I mean, don't we all just blame (laughs) our mom? It's just like, it's definitely my mom's fault. I still do it. Like, She's so supportive and loves me so much. And she's still probably because we're so close, you know, Um, and we still have a lot of boundaries with each other. There's a lot of things we just don't talk about, like to your point um, about politics or certain whatever. Um, But at the end of the day, I just crack up when I want to blame her for stuff. And, you know, I've 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 gotten blamed for a lot of my daughter's stuff. I am I am a a quick and easy target, uh, you know. (laughs) And it hurts my feelings, but at the same time, that's just, she feels safe to do that. And so I guess there's, you know, but meeting your mom, I just, I can't imagine her emoting that way for one thing. That just blows my fucking mind. Like, what? And then, or, or ever going to a concert. She's just like, she, yeah, she's adorable. Yeah, Ford Levin and me. Get out, but yeah, they're, they're just Judy yeah. had a hot life back in the day. <laughs> um, what does your love life look like sober? Like, how has that changed? Um, you know, a lot of us, I speak from experience looking for love in all the wrong places. Like, when you're drinking and doing whatnot, like, you know, the our views of love, intimacy, relationships maybe are different, right? In terms of like what we're trying to get out of it uh, versus how we approach love and recovery. So like, how has that part of your life changed, if at all? Well, honestly, it, I'll say this, I don't, you know, I don't, with anybody looks at me twice. um, And I don't, you know, And I mean, I've done, I've, you know, I've made out with taxi drivers, you know, I'm not cream of the crop here, made out with taxi drivers. I've made out with people in a dirty bookstore parking lot. Like these are things I get drunk, right? Holy shit. Lucky to be alive. Um, But uh, so that's not, it's not funny. I'm sorry. I just, I can relate. But you know, the, the thing about what, certain things I'm clear of. And one of the things I'm clear of is I have to be with someone who, uh, is either doesn't drink naturally or, you know, is in the program. Um, I don't, I can't be with someone who's going to, I mean, when I say don't drink, I mean, they don't drink at all. Right. Like I can't be with the occasional drinker. I can't be, cause at some point, there, you know, that's living vicariously and, you know, going might tempt me. And, and certainly I can't be with someone who drinks like I drank, obviously I can't be with an active addiction person uh, or person in active addiction, I should say. So I'm clear on that. Um, it does whittle the field of available, available people down quite a bit, uh, but 
<laughs> but, um, you know, so my love life, not, you know, certainly um, still waiting for that that gift to come <laughs> from my mouth to God's ears. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I don't... I, yeah, I, but you know, like, that I'm clear what I want and what I don't want yes. was a deal breaker. And when I sponsor people or if I talk to people who want my advice, um, uh, is I say, hey, you know, what is your deal? You got to know what your deal breakers are, and you have to know that going in before you even attempt that. So I'm clear about at least two deal breakers, or at least one deal breaker is that they can't drink, um, and uh, you know. But, you know, I don't put myself out there either. So, you know, they're waiting. I'll be like, I'm going to do it once I lose waves. Except, you know, haven't really lost weight. So there's that. But, um, you know, that's the whole thing. You can't love somebody until you love yourself. And, yeah. you know, all the things we laughed at when we read it in Cosmo, it turns out to be really true. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it sounded so cliche, but <clears throat> it's so true. And, like. I think too that I hear what you're saying, but I also, there is a form of self-love in the way that like, you know, I will not compromise who I am or what my life looks like now for anybody. And back in the day, I totally would because like, I was more interested in the sex at that point or in this or in that. And so whatever my moral compass was, it's like, well, I see something over here that I really like. And so I'm just going to, you know, put this other stuff on hold. And now it's like, you know, I've been attracted to plenty of people and had great chemistry with different people or, or whatever, but it's like the drinking thing is just not going to fly for me. I, I just can't do it. And used to, I would have, I would have ended up relapsing. I actually did. That's part of a couple, several of my relapse stories. I'd start dating somebody. I'd eventually, you know, stop going to meetings. Cause that, you know, and it's like, it's really hard to deny yourself something that you really want in the moment in the interest of like preserving your sobriety, preserving your integrity and, and all that. Um, right. I guess it's maturity, like it's a form of maturity, but it's hard, you know, and knowing what you want and what you don't want and what you deserve. And like, when you're still attracted to things that aren't good for you, uh, which I, I still am, uh, for sure, 100,000%, which is why I need oh, yeah. to stay single. Yeah, because it's like, yeah. why is it so appealing? Um, yeah, I'm, but, I still acted to unavailable people. You know, yeah. I don't, you know, I try not to voice it or act on it, but, you know, yeah. the feelings are there. And then you're like, shit. Oh, let me do a four step. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> let me do some more work on this. I know. <laughs> Well, you're, uh, I just love hearing your adventures though, because you're so like honest about, about it. And, um, the pool is so small in terms of like my world. And I don't know if being gay makes that even like a more complicated, you know, um, but the older I get also, there's just, that pool is just so small, you know? And, um, yeah. Which is fine. I'd rather find what I know is best for me um, than to compromise. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'll probably just die alone. So it's totally fine. We can we can uh, die alone. Together. <laughs> We're still single at seventy five. We'll get married. What the hell? Yes, we'll get married. Buy a house. It'll be awesome. 
But you know what the cool thing is too about this is that, you know, back in the day, and a lot of people are conditioned to think that you're only complete or you're only living a full life if you're in a relationship. And I think like recovery really taught me, it's like, there's so many areas of life, whether it's our families, our kids, our friendships, our hobbies, like there's such, so many ways to have a full rich life without that. Like, yes. Do I want that companionship in my life? Of course I do. But, but it's not the only thing it's not going to make me happy. Like if I'm not already having a, so I think you're a great example of that is like your life has always been full and rich. Even when you're going through really hard times, you have a lot of friends, you have all these things that you're interested in, you know, you fly all over the country to meet Wonder Woman and do all this stuff, you know? Um, I I always say I didn't get to stay at home and count pennies. So you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just feel like that. Like, you know, I've made some decisions where I probably couldn't afford it and shouldn't have done it. But, you know, I, I just thought, you know, I'm living my best life. And if, and I, yes. yeah, yeah, totally. Especially after your, you know, the brain hemorrhage where that moment literally could have been the end of your life. Like in that very moment, the fact that you even made it to the hospital and came out on the other side of that, um, is a miracle. And so, yes. I bet after that you were even more like, "Oh, honey, I'm gonna, I'm doing it. I don't care. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying. I'm doing it, baby. I don't even care. <laughs> How much? I don't care. Pay yeah, off your dude. debt when you're dead. Who cares? <laughs> That's um, what life insurance is for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of one of the things that I've always admired about you, but it's like complicated for me because, you know, I have a huge chip on my shoulder when it comes to like any type of religiosity. I just get all like thorny about it, which is not your problem. That's that's my shit, which I totally get it. But you have always had a really strong faith and I've admired about that about I've admired that about you. But it also <clears throat> sometimes it's a struggle for me to understand how marginalized people um, marginalized by the church, right. Or by organized religion or evangelicals or whatever, like how they are then also supportive. Um, and I, it's none of my business again, cause it's not my actual experience, but it's just one of those things that I think about, like, how do you reconcile so being supportive of a, you know, a, a way of life or a community that like, isn't loving toward you or something like that. Um, and I don't know if you even feel that way, because when you say God, you may not be talking about, that's another thing in the rooms, right? We don't really know what anyone is saying when they're saying God, because that means completely different things to all of us, which is totally cool. But where does your faith come from? Like, was it a big bang experience? Has it been more the educational variety? Is it because of how you were raised? Like, where did it come from? And how did you keep your faith through like all the stuff you've been through? Well, I, I, it, I wouldn't say it was a big bang, big burning bush moment. But, you know, growing up um, and realizing that I was lesbian, like it just really uh, and then having, you know, having to hide it, having to, you know, and wishing it would go away. And not so much because of the I mean, I guess a little bit was because I was taught it was wrong or, you know, everyone you heard weird, you know, bad things about it. And I certainly didn't want to tell about it. But at one point, I remember when I was young, I'm just like, and I can't tell you what it was that God did for me, but there was something that God did for me. And I thought, there's no way that God would do for me all this stuff 
if I was really eventually going to hell because I liked women, like this doesn't make any sense to me. So I just realized that that just simply wasn't true. And, you know, um, so fast forward, um, many, many wins later and fast forward, um, you know, the Fox, I was queen of the foxhole prayer, right? Please God, just get yeah. me out of this. I swear. And I'll be good um, after this. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, please. I swear. I'm going to get it under control. Just help me out yeah. one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, fast forward to AA and, uh, and sobriety. And, and really I thought, Oh, well, this is it. And I'm going to have to become pure as the driven snow. Been plowed way too many times for that. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting waiting for that. Right. Knew it was coming. So, um, but I didn't. And, and the only thing I had to do, um, you know, was follow a few suggestions and do get about a few things and be honest with someone else, you know, and the more, the more I did that, the more I practiced that, the more I turned my my life over per se. And, and we say, how do you do that? Well, I, I say the, you know, I do my prayers every morning. I, I love the third step prayer. I said that from jump. I was like, yeah, sign Take away my difficulties. Mm-hmm. Me. Please. Right. right. So I, you know, and then you see it work for other people and you're just like, look, I don't want. And then slowly, but surely through the educational variety, right. The things I want, change. I want just, you know, satisfied and serene and peaceful and, you know, and I, you know, be better. I just want to be better sometimes, but not be better to be the best, just be better, so better, the better worker, the better friend, the better daughter, the better, just for others, right? Not to be better for me. And then, you know, and the, like I said, the more I did the right, and it's just, God has always worked this way in my life is that the Every time, every time I do the right thing, it works out, right? Just out that, you know, the way I would have, you know, the, you know, the dreamscape. No, I still have seven DWIs. I still spend a ton of money on lawyers and fees and blowers and all, you know, uh, ignition interlock devices. I shouldn't say blowers. Ignition interlock devices. (laughs) But... So, like, you know, I mean, would have been nice if I didn't have seven, but, you know, got to play the cards you dealt. So, yeah. So, so to me, I know the way. The way I'm not a big writer, so I'll do four steps when my ass is on fire. But for me, I usually put that fire out just by praying and then turning my thoughts to others. If any, you know, anything in the big book that really talked to me, too, was we – you know, we, we ask God to remove it and we turn our thoughts to helping others. And when I do that, A, it gets my hands out of the pot, right? And, and I'm helping someone else. And then it yeah. always works, you know, because I'm not in it and I'm letting God yeah. do it. So It's so true. And that's like, it's like we have that magnifying mind, right? And I think every human being has that. Whatever we focus on expands. But I guess alcoholics and addicts have the ability to really just, and it's almost like if you just walk away from it, like you said, take your hands off of it and like ask God, spirit, universe, divine mother, whatever. And let me just go be distracted over here being of service, controlling what I actually can control. was like, let me get off my ass and go help somebody. Typically for me, it does a couple of things. It reminds me that I am not in charge. 
like, you know, step three, step one, two, three, all that stuff, not only of alcohol, but like of, of pretty much everything. Um, and then the other thing is like, when I step away from it, when I come back to the problem, it's usually not as like, you know, wild and crazy and huge as I, as my mind was making it out to be, you know? Um, and, but you, you know, I've always talk- said that. Oh, I was yeah. just going to say, you know, I've a big proponent of, you know, secrets, another thing that we learn, you know, you know, secrets keep us sick. And that's true. Um, I'm a big proponent of go to meeting. When I say, you know, turn your thoughts to others, sometimes it's just going to a meeting and sharing, going to a meeting and going up to somebody else after and that did share and say, hey, I liked what you had to say. So like to me, that right. So it's not always about, you know, I w- actually went out and, you know, did meals on wheels or, you know, did a four step with somebody. It's just little things. Sometimes going to a meeting, sharing, saying hi to somebody, yeah. texting somebody, you know? So yeah. there's just yeah, calling, calling somebody and saying, Hey, how are you doing? And then just listening instead of, you know, that old bait and switch of like, Hey, how are you doing? And then really what you want to do is talk about yourself. So then you talk about yourself for 45 minutes. <laughs> Oh, yeah, fucking friends like this. They always do this. They're like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. And then they tell you about their whole life for two hours and you're just like, oh my God. Um, but no, it's true. Like just just getting out of that, like you said, get out of it, right? Get off that hamster wheel, step off of it for a second and go. Um, and it we don't, it doesn't have to be grandiose. It doesn't have to be some big major thing like you're saying. Go to a meeting or just text somebody, hey, how are you doing? Or some newcomer that you met, like, hey, how's it going? Have you found a sponsor yet? Like those things help so much. And I never realized how important those things were until people did it to me. And I was like, uh, I could have, I was, I was actually thinking about going to drink today. And then I got this random text from this person. I barely know. And I'm going to go meet her for coffee instead and go to a meeting, you know, like those moments really help people. And I didn't realize, um, okay. I know we're coming up on time. Um, where, okay. Cause one of my favorite, I mean, I have so many favorite things about you. One is your laugh. Um, or like when people pick up a chip and you're like, yay, always right in my ear. Cause we always sat next to each other. Um, but also you always talk about wins, you know, and all these little wins and just, I guess being in a state of constant gratitude and trying to like frame things up as these wins and viewing that as gifts from God, right. It's not like some random coincidence or, or whatever. It's like every little win you can identify, and get your hands on, like you credit that back to your higher power. And so, um, like, where did that come from? Why, why did that become a thing for you to talk about wins like that? Well, you know, because I think, you know, even part of the third step, right. It says, you know, take away my difficulties. So, you know, um, that when I help others, it can, you know, serve as a, I can't remember how the third step prayer goes. Um, take away my difficulties. (laughs) Victory may show others that I help, you know. Um, so to me, it's important, and it's just my experience. I pray about it. Um, I turn my thoughts to something else, to others, something productive even, and it works. So if, you know, I, I can put two and two together and come out and say, that's God doing for me. And even before sobriety, I can name a thousand things that God did for me that, you know, is just unexplainable. And, and, you know, I know I prayed about it and it came, it came to fruition. Um, and it's just, it just requires me to do 
a couple of, you know, easy sometimes, not so easy, but a couple of, you know, things that I have to do. First of all, I have to ask God, right? I have to pray and I have to do the right things and I have to be autonomous on when I owe someone an amends or when I owe, when I do something wrong and instead of living my life trying to hide it, you know, I go to my boss and I say, hey, I made this mistake. Or I go to my friend and say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You know, I was just a stupid joke. Or, hey, I read your text that came up while I was talking to you, you know, like, or not text, um, you know, the message that comes up on uh, Teams or Zoom or whatever, right? Like, I, I'll, I'll stand there, I'll be talking to somebody about something, and I'll just read it, like, I don't know. I, I call it the uh, something from living alone so much. <laughs> I just do it a lot. And I'm like, oh, God, that was so rude. I read that. I didn't mean to read that, but I did. You yeah. know, and they're like, who cares? <laughs> and then some of my work people are like, you're so weird. <laughs> no one cares, Ruth. No one cares. I was like, I know, but I have And, uh, but yeah, for me, it's just always, it's one plus one equals two. And my job, I feel, I don't say my job, but I feel like part of of, um, the, I'll say this, the program taught me, the, the program brought me closer to God. And part yeah. of, for me, my program is trying to say, you know, Hey, for you folks that have, you know, may have an issue with the God thing, you know, come ask me about mine, come borrow mine. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, I get all these wins and maybe people say, Oh, you shouldn't talk about your wins. Hell no. I'm talking about my wins. Wins are major. Awesome. They're the reason yeah. I'm sober. If I didn't have wins, I, I, you know, I mean, we're not a glum lot, and I talk about my wins because I want everyone to get this miracle. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of people call God, like, you know, group of drunks or good orderly direction or, like, higher power or, you know, whatever the thing is. And that's what I love about it is that we all have our different versions. And so what we used to, when I would hear the word God, I would think of the Southern Baptist stuff that I was raised in, a lot of guilt and fear and shame, and it would make me feel kind of like I need to protect myself and I would, I would just feel really like, ugh. and I just don't feel that way anymore because I've met so many other people's higher powers. I've gotten to talk to so many women over the years and hear about their higher power and that relationship and how that exchange works. Um, and like even atheists or agnostic and all this kind of stuff. It's like, how do you trust and turn your life over to something that like, you're not even sure that it exists or what it is or what it looks like. And it's like, really the whole point is to get out of self. Right. And so over time, that concept of God, whatever that is to you, um, even if it's nature or spending time with your animals or like, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but it's getting out of self and your concept of that will evolve mostly because we learn from other people. How did they do their spirituality? How did they learn what worked for them and didn't work? And for me, I needed to unlearn and leave a lot of old stuff at the door, like what I was taught and some of the stuff I saw and experienced in the church when I was younger, that is not God. You know, those were people. Those are people. That is not the same. And it took me a long, 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 long time um, to really understand that, you know. So your your faith has always just been such a um, inspiration to me because you could literally, you literally were in a hospital bed, like damn near just died. And you're like, you know, God got me through another one. <laughs> and I'm just like, wing. Okay. You're yeah. grateful. Like, but yeah. I get it. I get it. But at the time, it's just like 
my natural thing is like this anger or like woe is me or why me or this is such bullshit. I don't have time for this. Like that's my natural like negative reaction to things when things don't go my way. Um, mm-hmm. And you're always like, it's another win. God doing <laughs> for me. And I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. I, you know, it's hard. I and it. I, you know, I don't, I don't have the perfect life, but like I said, I know when it's God, when I, mm-hmm. I you know, call it a God wink, whatever you want to call it. But when I know that it's God doing for me, I'm, I'm grateful. And I just want others to know. And, um, I've learned through AA that God really just wants to be whatever you need God to be. That's all God wants. God just be whatever you need God to be. So whatever, whatever. Such a beautiful sentiment and so much freedom. Um, and our, you know, I can't speak for all meetings, but our meeting was very inclusive and, and, and wonderful and warm and open. And I hope that's my wish for everyone is that they can find that type of those types of um, support systems. So some, a lot of these, I think we covered, we covered so much, but I want to end on, well, a couple, a couple things, because I know we're over on time, but one is where does your sense of humor come from? Like, where does that come from? Is that how you have been since you were a little kid? Do you use humor humor to deflect from things? Is your mom a funny person or your sister's funny? Like, why is this such a big part of your personality? I, I it is a, a, a method to deflect sometimes for sure. Um, and but it, I grew up. I wanted. I was. I don't know for some reason I was drawn to the humor, like the but the insult comics. Your Paul and your you Joan Rivers, right? Like I thought they were the funniest, right? I knew that I got, I knew Joan Rivers act up and down. I could quote it. Um, and so it just, but it really was, it's kind of a form, I guess, of um, people pleasing, I guess. I wanted you to like me before you found out it was that. And so part of it's that. And then part of it, like I said, now, you know, at 55, it's not going anywhere. It is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, you know, I really do. And I, I enjoy being, I enjoy being happy and being goofy makes. So, yeah. And my mom, sometimes my mom will say something super funny. I'm like, shut up, get out of here with that. A lot of times you, when you hear documentaries or interviews with all these like really famous comics, really successful comics, they, they come from this place of like a lot of darkness and a lot of pain and a lot of trauma and like, but they're always happy and they're always entertaining others and they're always, and there is joy and love and humor in their standup, but there, but there's also, and that's what sometimes it's hard to know if, if everything is okay with someone like you, because you're always laughing and you're always entertaining. And like, you wonder, do you know what I mean? But I love being around you. It's why I wanted to like round out the season and round out the year with this interview, because it's like uplifting and you always just bring so much optimism and, and joy and humor, but you're also honest when you were having a hard time with different things in meetings, like you, you weren't all sunshine and rainbows. You were like, I'm really struggling with this X, Y, Z right now. You know, um, I just love that about you because I've never been around you and walked away from that situation, not feeling better. (laughs) Like I have always felt better when I was, I'm serious. Some people are just like that. And you're like that. That's contagious. You bring bring it out in me. (laughs) Okay. One final question to end on. And that is what would your, 
um, if you had like one piece of advice for newcomers or people maybe considering trying to get sober, kicking tires on, on a program, what's your like one piece of advice that, that you think is like invaluable? Um, I, I would say, well, like, kind of like I said before, if, if someone's having a conversation with you about your drinking to really look at it. And if, if you're in the program, but you're not all the way sitting all the way down, as we say, um, then I would just say, you know, just try and, you know, if you can just try. And if you're having, you know, thoughts about questions about doubt about something, you know, if it's the God thing, if it's, you know, the not drinking thing or whatever, not having fun, um, or, you know, living some boring life, like voice vocalize that, find somebody, you know, and vocalize that and just try, because, you know, if you think that, you know, um, I'll use a quote from Wonder Woman, the movie, if, you know, um, but, you know, like if you think that you, you don't have a problem and it'll, it, you can handle it, you know, I'll say, what if you're wrong? You know, what happens if you're wrong? So, um, so just, just try and, uh, and, and again, I'm a person, I'll, I'll say this too. Um, if my number's on a call sheet, or if you ask me for my number and you call me at two in the morning, I'm the girl you call at two in the morning. I'm the girl yeah. you call if you a meeting. And as long as I'm not working, I will go to a meeting with you. So yeah. all your really listeners are. out there. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm that person. I'll, I can do that and have you no. Really, yeah. You really are. You really are that person. I've seen that in real life. And I remember I, on all the meeting phone lists, I was always first because my name starts with an A. And so I got, and I'm like, can we like rearrange the list? Not to <laughs> complain about being your service, but this bitch is not awake at 2 a.m. You feel me? I'm, like, I'm, I'm a terrible person to call at two in the morning because my phone's like silent. Right. But you really, you really are that person. You show up for people. And like, I also love your thing about like, um, you know, to add on to what you said is like listening and meetings for people who express the same things. I had major issue with the God thing. I didn't want to have a boring life. What am I going to do for social? Like, how am I going to handle work? Like listen for things that resonate with you and then go talk to them, ask them questions, go for coffee, like ask people to be your sponsor or whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, that's such a, that's such a huge thing. And I think when people, when people bring it, brought it up to me, I would just get angry. I would just get angry and defensive. Like, how dare you? You know, unfortunately I had to also, I had to get sick and tired, get sick and tired, you know? Um, but I think that's why it's this one day at a time thing, even in recovery. Cause there are a lot of days where I feel like I don't like, I'm fine. You know, I don't need, I don't really need to program anymore. I'm, I feel like I'm okay. You know, Ugh, that's, that's scary. Like a right chicken on the egg. But the reason I've heard, the reason I know to watch out for that is because I've heard hundreds of women in meetings saying right before I relapsed, this is what started to happen. It's called a prelapse. There's, there's behaviors that will happen before that. And when I start hearing voices like that in my head, or I think start thinking, I think meetings, I don't need them anymore. Um, you know, I know it's around the corner for me anyways. That's not, that's not true of everybody, but, 
Okay. Well, I, I cannot thank you enough. I love you so much. You know how much I, I love, love you. I love you. I love you. And you're amazing. And thank you for doing this. Thank you for asking me. Thank you for, uh, thank you for everything. Thank you for your friendship, your love, your support. Um, I love you so much. I really love you. <laughs>